welcome to the Volunteer Firefighter Podcast. I'm Todd. I'm here with two fire friends. Ash. Oh, hey there. And Scott. Hello. Um, yeah, as usual, it's late and a lot of chaos before the podcast. Uh, anyway, we want to start with a little bit of news. Back in Aussieland, Australia, uh, Marshall Bass reached out to us. Sounds like everything's on fire again. Surprise, surprise. Um, Scott, do you have some info on that one? Uh, yeah, this is straight from him. Uh, huge blazes across the country. It's only spring, by the way. Um, there are huge blazes across the country, especially in North te- Northern Territories and Queensland. Uh, scores of homes already lost, one firefighter death, a couple of residents also, and a plane went down yesterday, which is a couple of days ago now, with three crew on board. Um, he says, here where, where he is, we've already had up to 100 fires going at a time within the last couple of weeks, mostly in the north of the state. Um, he's already had crews on deployment, and the grass is looking like it did in uh, 2019, 2020, 2019, 2020 season where it was uh, really bad, where they had the massive fires that basically burned all Australia. So the areas that have burnt are already back to basically that season. So, so um, really erratic fire behavior, and it's not looking good because summer is not even there yet. Yeah, that's uh, they have pretty pretty wildfires back there. Hey, wildfires, hey, um, yeah, that's definitely a different different style of firefighting uh, than we're used to for our wildland fires. But, anyways, thoughts are with those guys working hard. Pretty uh, pretty dangerous job out there. So, um. We're going to talk a little bit about some training tonight of what we did and some uh, other uh, training evolutions for with driving, which is some of the stuff that Scott was doing the past week. Um, why don't we jump into training? Which one of you guys wants to start talking about that? Ash, can you take the lead? Okay. Yeah, so last week we had our uh, hybrid uh, practice night. So we do a bit of an ops meeting and then go and hit some of those core competency skills. Uh, one of them uh, that we wanted to focus on this past week was going to be thrown ladders. Um, so we've got uh, uh, our new engine that doesn't have um, quite as long of a ladder. So we opted for two 24 foots, um, which for all of our like classic BC box homes, what? No, not two 24. No, that's a lie. <laughs> it's one 24 foot with two roof ladders attached as well as the added ladder. Sorry. So the thought going to the 24 foot um, on our first do, all of our classic BC box homes here um, are like that classic, um, uh, like half buried basement um, walk in, in the middle of the upper and lower floor. Um, not quite a, like a 12 foot isn't quite going to reach, but to haul off, you know, the massive ladder is a big undertaking to raise it up two runs because <laughs> that's really all you need to hit, to hit that, that second story window. So, uh, you know, wanted to get the crew into throwing those, uh, which is a lot easier, obviously, but just get, you know, get, get hands on. Um, we did want to get the big ascension ladder off as well. Uh, so we actually used my work, uh, to go up on the roof, uh, which, uh, worked out really well. And then one of our members has a, um, a winery storage facility, uh, which actually worked as well with the 24 
uh, and then throwing the roof ladder. So uh, we split up into uh, three pieces of equipment, uh, basically put everybody out to one, and then they would cycle through uh, throwing the ladder. Uh, one of them uh, we built off of our um, rope practice the last little bit and got them to hoist up a couple of tools just to to add a little extra to it so it's not just throwing ladders. Um, and then, yeah, mine was, you know, getting guys up on the <clears> roof, um, sending up four or five firefighters, making sure you had somebody down there to foot the ladder for the last person up, I would go and foot it for them. So everybody had the chance to get up there. Uh, we generally don't like, we're getting better at throwing ladders a hundred percent, but we generally don't have to go up that high. Like that's a, that's not right. a normalcy for us. Right. So, uh, just to say, Hey, like, I don't like, I don't really like ladders. I don't mind when I'm on it. I don't mind going up. I hate the first step coming down. <laughs> so just getting yourself through that evolution, um, at least once a year, we, we, we think is really, really important. Uh, talking about the different parts of the ladder, talk, talking about tying off the ladder, the importance of that and, um, everything else that goes along with it. So that was the idea of our practice, um, cycled through and it was, it was a really good night. Uh, guys took it serious, which is great. Um, yeah. Tom. Actually, just on the tying off the ladder thing, that's, um, it's funny because like even, in our go-to fires, like if you have an active fire and you got ladders thrown, generally, I know we're not really good at going back and actually tying them off because you're it's usually you're a little bit short on manpower usually, mm-hmm. um, and you're you're running your evolutions. And generally, if it's uh, your typical BC box and you got some ladders thrown, um, fires usually knock down pretty quickly if you're doing that interior work. Um, but it is one thing that we always talk about is you know that that. You know, those, those guys doing that 360 or that writ or your safety officer, as things progress, we should be identifying those and make sure those ladders are, are secure. Um, and then everybody asks, well, what's the best way to tie it off? Which is always a, a fun argument because there, there's lots of ways. Um, but depending on your surroundings of that house, you got shit in the way and it might not be the classic the way we train in the training grounds. Um, so, you know, we talk about, you know, taking your halligan, you know, driving it in the ground. Um, throwing some some webbing onto it um, if you can attach it to the house great but how many places can you actually attach to the house you, you can't um, and if that if that angle of that ladder isn't perfect well that's fine it can be in that rescue angle generally when we're throwing them right for secondary means of egress um, it's a lower angle it's going to be pretty safe and pretty sturdy so there's a little bit of a reality check i guess into it with the when you start talking about ladders but uh, there's one thing with tying off is we could probably be getting better at finishing that anyway, so. yeah i guess the only problem with tying off is if you um if you needed to move it um you know like if there's like six windows and you only have three ladders um what window do you pick and then oh shit well now we gotta move it to the next window over kind of thing so um yeah if, you, if you're gonna tie it off um it's gotta be able to remove it fairly quickly and kind of adjust. Yeah, and, and I think I don't know. Just thinking outside the box here for for our style of fires, um, typically that house you're you're not. But if we're throwing up our our thirty um, five footer, you know, then yeah, that that should be tied off. Uh, but usually, like you said, Ash, it's it's usually that two story is kind of our go to. But I know for us, like we all have the thirty five footers on all of our trucks now. Um, and we made that switch only because the resort community we are in with all of our kind of four story structures, 
we need that ability because we don't have a ladder truck yet. Um, so we had to make that operational change for it. Downside is that simple two-story house. It's a pain in the ass hauling that heavy-ass ladder up for, like I said, a couple little rung pulls and lock it into place and away you go. Prime example, a few weeks back, we had to make entry for the ambulance. We had to throw it up to the bathroom window and small little bathroom window hauling our 35-foot ladder out. Uneven trains, you got to kind of kick the dirt and gravel around, make it sure it's secure enough. And then looking around, who's going to go up the ladder? I guess I got railroaded into that. So here's this 250-pound 250, 250 uh, fire captain going through the, the window of the uh, bathroom, which was fun. They all made fun of me for doing that. But it was good. I didn't land on my head. didn't put my foot in the toilet, so I made it safe. Yeah, getting back to what you were saying there about uh, uh, how steep of a ladder placement. Uh, so that was something that we def- definitely discussed. And um, <clears throat> one of the guys, when the first two went up, or one of the groups, uh, they went up, and it was it was close, but it was it, it was pretty steep. Um, and then one of the other members is like, "Hey, like, can we pull pull this back for like safety and?" Um, more along the lines of um, that secondary egress uh, rescue angle. And I'm like, absolutely. Like for me, like we don't have those structures where you're throwing six, eight friggin' ladders. And I want to know this one's for rescue and this one's not. And I'm like, if there's a ladder, they're all for rescue in my mind, because we're only going to have one or two up anyway. So if that's going to be the case, just have it ready for rescue. Um, If you have to bail out, uh, you're going to want a little less steep of a of an angle on that ladder, and if you have to bring a patient out, having that there as well is is going to be great. Um, and also, Todd, you were saying like you guys are definitely a lot more of a resort community where you have more of the higher rise. Like they're not like city high rise by any means, but you have that four four plus story uh, where we have a few. Like absolutely, we've got probably a good half half a dozen now. Um. But our other two engines come with the bigger ladders as well. So it's not like, like all right, we're going to send the one engine and that's it. We always know that there's some something else coming. We're going to have a second engine coming. So we will have the longer ladder available. Um, but for our bread and butter calls, that 24 is money. Yeah, and we uh, one of the reasons why we had to make that change as well is because we have two halls. And manpower dependent, you don't know which truck's going to get there first. It's not your classic one haul. Uh, so it does complicate things a little bit. So we had to make that change. Um, but we, we did have a lot of those discussions because we do prefer the, the 24. Um, and even just the other night, we were discussing that with some of our ladder evolutions that we're doing for the uh, chimney fires. And same thing, uh, the 24, just for your basic chimney fire, is way nicer to be, to be throwing. But, um, yeah, that's, that's the way the operations wants it. So that's the way we're stuck with it for now. It's it's fine, but two guys throwing a 30, 35 sucks. It's not fun. It can be done. It's not fun. You know, I think one thing about laying that shallow angle on that ladder, you can do that on all, like, if every ladder is like that when you place it, that's that's fine. Because really, if you're going to start working off the ladder, you can adjust it to work. Um, normally, working off the ladder isn't as urgent as rescue off the ladder. So you can, you know, if every, if every ladder that gets placed is shallow, that's fine. And then, you know, once you start working on it, you can... You know, if it's if it's easier to work off of it when it's uh, a little steeper or more safer, uh, you can you can reangle it. I think, but 
I like throwing them shallow for writ and for, for rescue. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and then uh, so you guys are doing roof practice, or what were you guys doing with all like, your ladder stuff? So it was mostly just access and egress, uh, just simple ladder throws, uh, getting yourself up safely on top of a roof. Uh, if you're going to be on a pitch roof, getting that uh, that roof ladder deployed as well. Uh, so you you are working off of a ladder. You're not on a steeper pitch pitch roof without uh, ladder placement. Um, and then again, at the one spot, they were hoisting tools up. Uh, just going through um, like access, egress, a little bit of work, but not actual roof work. Uh, this this was again just that shorter skills based night. So the main focus was access and egress, you know, throwing ladders, making it safe, uh, working as a team. Um, some some of the crew that pulled up, they had four on the truck. Some of them had five. Um, I think one of them had six. <laughs> so. When they show up, I'm like, I don't care how how you guys throw it. Work as a team. I don't expect to have six hands, like six, six sets of hands on this one ladder at a time. Uh, and they generally worked as a team of three. So uh, one one person stood back, was watching to make sure that they were getting the height, uh, where the other two, uh, or sorry, where the other three then were uh, actually making the the throw. Um, and then yeah, like um, on uh, Rob's. They were at a old government building. Uh, so again, the 24 went up. Uh, the roof ladder came out to get to the next um, uh, to the next level of the building, and then they were hoisting tools. Uh, and then at the uh, at the storage facility, uh, that was the classic ladder throw with the roof ladder working off of that pitch roof with a metal uh, metal cladding. Uh, it makes it definitely slippery. You're up there in, in your structure boots. Uh, we're in that like frosty dew season now so everything's slippery so getting that uh, roof roof ladder up there for safety was uh, key and it sounds like everything went really really well yeah you know and we had uh same conversations and and just that reminded me like a lot of um a lot of the evolutions even when i was on the department back here back in the day like a lot of our fires uh some of the the flat roof kind of industrial flat roof uh uh kind of main street style buildings you'll have that two-story then you'll have a three-story or a one-story to a two-story so you're throwing that first ladder on then bring your roof ladder up for that second um, access point um that was probably the most ladder stuff i've used um for those style of buildings uh even the old high school fire that we had we were on the far north end same thing we i think we had three ladder evolutions we had to use at one point to get up to where we're actually spraying water and, and doing some overhaul um so yeah, lots of things you ought to be thinking about because now you're working on that tar gravel roof, possibly. You know, we talk about anchoring; it's a little bit harder to anchor. Um, you might have a good base for it, but you got to make sure it's pretty secure. Uh, but you don't want you want to drive a, a halligan into, into the roof of that house or building. But um, some of the other issues that we have in our town is we have a lot of those clay tiles in a lot of the roofs. So we're doing some of our um, chimney fire evolutions. And as a go-to, we don't go on the roof of a clay tile. Okay, they're just they're they're fragile. They break. They're slippery. They're just not safe. Um, so we don't we don't try. I'm not going to say we never do, but we definitely try not to go on them at, at all costs. Um, but there may be a situation where if there's no other way to get up there, we'll figure out a way to safely safely do it and put out that chimney fire. But it does get challenging because they're uh, they're pretty fragile roofs. Um, some of the other things for chimney fire evolutions. So 
we're using chimney bombs, same as you guys. So for those of you that don't know what a chimney bomb is, basically it's just a cheap little sandwich bag or Ziploc bag, dry cam powder in it, and you drop that in from the top, and it's going to tear and melt on the way down and then hopefully suppress the fire. Um, <clears throat> the biggest thing I find with chimney fires is it's public service call too. We don't want to make a huge mess in the person's house. So we always have a spotter, if you will, <clears throat> in that um, uh, the room with the with the fireplace, making sure we got dry chem coming down or some debris coming down and make sure that fire is out. So try and bring in a, a water piss can or something for the fire. Don't use a dry cam. If that's all you have, we want to make sure, you know, we're not making a huge mess in that in that place because sometimes that happens. Somebody will hit it with a dry cam and now you got dry cam everywhere. So uh, a lot of public service aspects with the chimney fires, I find. Um, and it wasn't long ago where we actually weren't even using chimney bombs. So back in the day, our go-to was we'd go up there with a chain and a chimney sweep and lower it down with the big Kevlar gloves and try and clean it. And then it go from that. But it was miserable. You're working right by that chimney hole and it was pretty shit, actually. So I was glad a while back we actually finally switched to the chimney bombs. Uh, just way more efficient. So, and you don't want to spray water down by any means. I mean, if you have to, use a little piss can small squirts because you don't want to crack that lining and be responsible for that damage, right? You don't want the insurance companies coming back at you and uh, calling you out on that. So, And then the other big one is searching for fire extension, right? Get some eyes up in that uh, in that attic. Get somebody up there with a um, with a tick camera and really looking for extension, looking for any uh, cracks in the chimney, things like that. You know, that, that puffing of smoke in those cracks. Uh, just really reminding everybody all the little things to be looking for. Because sometimes we get pretty focused on Oh, it's just a, looks like a good chimney fire uh, and it knocks it out quickly, but you got to do your due diligence and look for those void spaces and, and different add-ons to roof levels, which I know you guys have had a while back, which is a bit of a nightmare. Um, but yeah, that was, that was basically our chimney fire night and lots of practice throwing the ladders, um, and picking the right ladder for the right building. Yeah, we've uh, we haven't had a chimney fire well, this year, but I guess it hasn't really been chimney season yet. <clears throat> um, one thing we did find out last year was it last year when we used a uh, paving stone. Um, yeah, we you know we ended up realizing it was a an, an insert chimney, so um, <clears throat> basically a metal pipe, so you can you can throw a little bit of water down it. Um, <clears throat> so what we did is we um, I think we used a falcon hole nozzle, which is can't, you can't find that in any any manual. Um, other than maybe one around here, um, it's basically a, a piece of um, copper tubing that's been uh, fit with a rubber end cap that goes into over the um, nozzle of a uh, of a water extinguisher, <clears throat> and then it's just you know because it's um, it's copper, you can just bend the pipe however you want to get up into the into the chimney on all its different angles, and then uh, I think it's like a flathead on the end. And you just kind of like just spray and it, and it, and it does its thing and it, <clears throat> it makes some steam and that steam will go up the chimney and hopefully knock the fire out if a chimney bomb isn't working. Um, but one thing we realized uh, a couple, was it last year or the year before, um, the one chimney was not going out. So what we ended up doing, um, we got a paving stone from down below from the, the neighbors. Um, so basically we carried it up, big heavy concrete thing, put the water in and then put the paving stone over top. And it just kept that kept that heat in, kept that uh, steam in, and it went up steam killing the the fire. So sometimes you just have to um, wing it. 
yeah, speaking of the old fucking hole nozzle, um, <clears throat> so we're getting the new engine dialed up, and we haven't gone through chimney fire evolutions with some of our newer members, uh, which is something that we're going to have to speak on. Um, but I'm throwing some like tools in the new truck, and someone walks by. It's like, what the hell is that like copper piece of shit doing on our brand new engine? And I'm like, oh no, this is genius. So I pull it off and show them. And they're like, oh man, that makes a shit ton of sense. But it wasn't quite like chimney. It, it wasn't quite fire up the old chimney season yet. So um, we haven't touched it. Now getting into November, that's something that we're going to have to look at. Um, and I think that's just something simple that we can pull off quickly before practice and show everybody say, hey, this is here. Just a fresh reminder. It's on this cabinet on this truck now. Um, but yeah, like like Scott says, it's, it's super simple. It's a piece of rubber attached to a copper pipe with the end squeezed down. And when I showed this new member, they're like, "Oh, that's yeah, that's that's genius because you can't reach up up inside of the chimney where with this you can." And back to what Todd was saying, um, doing that service like bringing in a small tarp and like laying that down in front of the fireplace so you can. You know, anything that might get knocked down, uh, you can pile up inside of the tarp and then haul outside with you. Um, like when you're walking inside, um, <clears throat> like if it's smoky, if it's like really smoky and, you know, if you're supposed to be in BA, obviously, <clears throat> yes. But if you're going in there with like dirty gear, like, hey, we shouldn't be having dirty gear, but just being mindful of what we're like traipsing into somebody's house. And everybody wants to go in and look. Like that's the big thing. Let's minimize that traffic that goes inside everybody wants to have a look right so the doors open people are coming and going you know you need two or three firefighters you end up getting six or seven um so let's just minimize that you know like that damage which is what it is like we're, we're bringing in like people care about their their house and they take take off their shoes and they make sure everything's clean and here comes half half a dozen firefighters you know ripping in there which they obviously don't care about in the moment but that's something that we can have in the back of our mind. Just, hey, this is a service. Like, this isn't a structure fire. Most of our chimney fires are smoky and annoying. It's not a real threat. Like, some of them, which we have had, like, chimney fires turn into, to, like, full, full-blown full structure fires. Absolutely. But, like, 90% of it is, hey, this got rocking. I got worried. By the time that we get there, yeah, there might be some flame. There, there might be, you know, a lot of embers coming out of the top. But it's not this massive panic so let's just slow it down treat it like, like what it is until we know it's not or until we know that it is but if you can minimize that damage i think you're doing a lot of service there yeah 100 percent. and you know like the other thing with the air packs too is generally the guys have their their packs on and they start out going in with them and then once you realize you don't need it they kind of stay on but the problem with that is then sometimes we're like a bull in a china shop and you turn and you bang into something. So we've got to be very cognizant of what you said, Ash. So it's, I agree, it's it's a huge public service. You know, we don't want to go be in and, and traipsing and all that shit around. So like you said, having that tarp, having that plan, getting everything going, um, and just lots of communication back and forth is, is key. Um, but yeah, now we're, we're starting to get into more chimney season now. So, so that's why we, we fired up our practice the other night with that. Uh, starting to cool off a little bit more, a little bit more chimneys firing up. But haven't had one yet for us knock on wood but yeah um uh, any more for that one guys 
Uh, it, uh, oh, I, one thing, <clears throat> chimney bombs uh, make get the shittiest, cheapest bag you can find. Don't 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 buy Ziploc. Buy like no name brand because uh, you want it to melt as soon as it touches it. Gets anywhere near the heat, so it distributes. Yeah, no name sandwich bag, man. <laughs> That's the best one. And just tie it off in a knot and, and drop it. You want it to tear easily. Absolutely. Uh, actually, back to the nozzle. Um, you know that is just that was the firefighter that was on the department back in the day who created that, hence the name of it. Um, and it's just that local uh, building knowledge. Like you got, you build what works for you, right? Uh, I think it's fantastic seeing that still on a truck. Um, I should play with it actually for our department as well because it works really well. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. It's like we have an ancient cellar nozzle on our old engine. Um, and everybody still, when we open up the truck check, what the hell is this thing? Like, it's been on there for a hundred years, man. Like, you just know what it is. But uh, it's fantastic. It's a, it's a cellar nozzle for blow grade or, or for uh, attic fires, crawl spaces where you need it. Um, now they have really nice piercing nozzles, of course. But this is, yeah, it's an old piece of equipment. It does, it looks homemade, um, but it's fantastic. So, um, let's move on to, I guess, uh, Code Three driving. <coughs> Uh, Scott, why don't you tell us what you're up to this last week and uh, kind of tie in some of the knowledge and training aspect with Code 3 Driving for what we do. Yeah, so with my other job, we we, um, we did some um, some kind of advanced driver training, um, driving the motorcades and, and driving Code 3 and things like that. Um, so it was actually kind of cool because we managed to rent the airport locally, um, did a bunch of stuff on that. Um, it's, it's kind of fun being able to drive super fast and you know, with, and these weren't fire trucks. These were, you know, these were like SUVs and stuff like that. So, um, the guys were, the guys were having lots of fun ripping around on that. But, uh, one thing we, we did talk about a fair amount was, uh, was code three and, you know, how, how to drive code three. Um, because, you know, there's, there's courses on it, but, you know, realistically in the fire service, a lot of times it's like, you, know, you get a little bit of training, but it's usually like on the job training. Um, it's more like, hey, yeah, um, this is the first time we're going code three and like, this is what you do. Um, so I, I use a lot of the stuff that Todd actually taught me because Todd was uh, Todd co- did code through driving a lot longer than I, I had been at the time. Oh, well, still to this day is. Um, so maybe Todd, you can talk about um, you know when you're going down a highway, code through driving, kind of some of the do's and don'ts. Yeah, so I, I completely agree with you. Like with the fire service, like you take the basic knowledge course of rules and regulations of. Um, emergency vehicle operations and you do the cone course and we don't need to talk about all the cone course what you do and how you drive the fire truck through it safely just for situational awareness but once you actually get out on that highway or in through town and intersections being able to just really slow things down and scan constantly be scanning and reading the traffic patterns what are they doing because people panic people are fucking stupid like you don't get on their ass otherwise they're going to panic break now you're going to be ramming your engine right up into their into their car so leave them lots of space um i find the best thing to do is everybody thinks oh what an idiot they're not pulling over for me i can't hear you if you're playing a little bit of music with these newer vehicles it's really hard to hear the sirens and if you do you generally don't know which way it's coming from so in a perfect world everybody's checking their mirrors but they don't so i've always been taught and always tell people when when we teach is when you're driving, put that center lane right down the center of your steering wheel, right down the center of your chest. And that is going to stagger your light. So hopefully it'll catch their mirrors a little bit better so they can see you coming. And it's also showing the oncoming traffic that, hey, there's a 
emergency vehicle coming at me. We cannot go into that lane unless we ask permission to go in that lane. We don't have the right to go into that oncoming traffic. Um, but by that traffic seeing us and starting to yield and pull over, usually the other drivers start figuring out, hey, everybody's moving over. And they start scanning and looking and figuring things out. But leaving that safe traveling distance between you and that vehicle in front of you and having that center line right down the center of your steering wheel is, is pretty key. I think I find that's the most efficient way for having people move for you. Um, and switching your siren tones a little bit as well. So if you just have one long tone and you're behind something, they're not moving, switch it up, right? We have awesome air horns. Everybody loves the old, good old air horn. Uh, but you've got to switch up those tones just to catch people's attention. Um, yeah, the other thing when you're when you're going down the highways is finesse, right? Constantly scanning a ways ahead of you and just um, reading that traffic, watching if somebody's slowing down, if they're coming up to a, a driveway or a, a, another road, if they're going to be turning left in front of you. Not everybody pulls to the right and yields. Sometimes they just stop or they think, well, I'm going to help and get out of the way. And all of a sudden they do a hard left in front of you. So you got to be very cognizant of that, especially when you're approaching uh, intersections. So as you're approaching those intersections, uh, if you're going to be making a left turn, for example, one of our areas, we've got a pretty busy, busy congested area, and we need to make a hard left half the time going into Main Street, and we have a pretty prominent right turn lane. Um, everybody starts turning to the right, yielding, but then that traffic flow in front of you tends to just stop because they don't have anywhere to go. So now we need to be asking permission to go into that oncoming lane but now you need to be cognizant of that merging lane coming into you into a blind corner. So just again, slowing things down, scanning, making sure, making sure you have eye contact with that driver. Sometimes that eye contact, you can be looking in their mirror with your peripheral and seeing that they've stopped and then slowly progress, progress around. Um, that's probably the, the most dangerous part is going through intersections. Um, and again, red lights, we have to stop and then proceed through. Usually, we kind of roll through everything. That's pretty much 99% of every service. That's what we do. But the law states we actually have to stop and then proceed. Um, yeah, so it's just being very, very aware of that traffic pattern, what they're doing. Watch for those pedestrians. Um, and then reading your lights. Like if you got a stale green light or a stale red, is that going to go green as I'm approaching or I'm approaching that green? Is it going to be going yellow and red? Do I need to be positioning myself now in that lane of traffic? Um, don't get caught up where you're going to be jammed in, right? You need to show your intent early. Use your signals, but you have to show your intent on where you're going. Because like a lot of guys start driving and they start panicking like, well, oh, they're not pulling over for me. What do I do? Well, they're not pulling over, get back in your lane, let them pass, and then show the intent which way you want to go. Because if you just stopped at an intersection and not moving and everybody stopped, somebody's going to panic and just go. You have to show that intent and be fairly aggressive, but safe. Um, yeah, that's that's the nuts and bolts of it. Yeah, and I think one of the other important things is not turning off uh, your lights too soon. Like, say if you get cancelled. Um, I was talking to the guys about this because, you know, they're running, they're, they're, they're doing it for a different reasons. So I said, you know, when you go through the intersection, don't shut your lights off right away. Um, obviously with fire, we don't usually shut it off until we get to the scene, but sometimes we get canceled. And a lot of times as soon as we get canceled, um, people are like, Oh, we're canceled. Shut everything off. Um, meanwhile, now we've pushed all this traffic off the road. And as soon as that siren goes down and the lights go off, people are like, Oh, whatever happened, it must be over. And they just start coming back into your lane. 
um, without even looking half the time. So um, we got to be cognizant. Like if you know, we we don't have a policy, but it's like kind of a loose um, a loose policy. Is like we don't shut our lights off until we're clear of all traffic. And same thing as activating lights. If, like if I'm running the duty truck, I won't just like as soon as the call comes in, I won't just instantly like flick on all my lights and freak everybody out. I'll wait until it's kind of like and kind of look around. Okay, looks pretty clear. All lights come on, and then we go. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a great point. So. Yeah, as you're entering that intersection, traffic's just chaos everywhere, right? If you're if you're cancelled, progress through. Push through that intersection. If cars are still scattered everywhere, maybe just leave it on and take an exit point uh, and then shut her down uh, or wait till you actually have some space. To, again, it's showing your intent, right? Because people are very confused and people freak out. So just, uh, again, slowing your roll a little bit and pushing through Code 3 if you need to, like you said. Um, yeah, because you shut it off too soon, you're going to really confuse people, especially if you're in a convoy driving. If you're right beside, behind another apparatus or another uh, emergency service vehicle and you shut down, people are really confused, um, especially if one proceeds through and then another one isn't. Like, it, roll as a group, then shut her down, or else it's just going to cause chaos. I think something else really important to think about when you're Code 3 driving is your actual driving habits while you're doing that. There's people in your fire truck that like they feed off of the energy while you're driving. If you're the guy or gal that's driving down main street and you're all over the air, air horn yelling at the, you know, the car in front of you, just being super hyped up, that's going to elevate the people in the back seat. That's going to, you know, el- that's going to elevate your fire officer sitting in the front seat. And that stress is going to start to rise and rise and rise. Get yourself through. Get there quickly. Make it safe, though. But if like, smooth is fast. So if they're not going to move over, just wait. Like They will eventually figure it out, or they won't. But losing your shit in the driver's seat because somebody's not moving is only going to elevate the truck. And you're not going to get there any faster. I know it's frustrating, but... Think about what your actions while you're driving, what that does to the rest of the crew, because um, it does have a massive effect. And that's one thing I got to give Matt from our hall credit is he really lets that hit home. He's like, man, like, just slow it down, calm down, make good, good decisions. And you know, that's, that, that's his quote. And he's right. You know, just slow it down. Like, we're saving milliseconds at, at that point. Being able to push through an intersection if it's a red and you can creep creep out, show that you want to proceed, traffic stops, and you then you can pass through. Like that's where you're saving time. Um, and we we're a three stop stuff like town. Like we're not we're not massive downtown like big city traffic. Like we have to get through some congestion and then we hit the rule. And it's I mean once once you're out there, like you're not saving minutes, you're saving seconds with with traffic like it's it's not crazy but it's getting through town so like calm yourself down get get yourself through don't overhype the scene before you even get there like if it's a work and structure fire you're going to be hyped up once you see it anyway so let's just get there yeah and that's uh in my service as well i always tell our guys our new drivers is before you start rolling before you leave that apron know where you're going take the moment you need to look on the map look on the map Whoever's in the jump, um, generally they're going to assist you with that. It's kind of their role. Um, but you should be knowing 
the major route how to get there anyways. Uh, and then you'll figure out, okay, well, which way are we coming in? Command may tell us to come in a different direction if it's depending on the event or which hydrant to tag uh, from that direction. But uh, yeah, just being calm and slow. It's the same thing when we talk about command presence, right? Like if you're an IC and you're in the radio and you're eating your microphone, panicked, freaking out and yelling over the airway, everybody's going to get amped up higher. So slowing it down, keeping it calm and methodical, then everybody in that truck is going to be nice and chill, right? Set that table so everybody's on the same level of, of anxiety. <laughs> so people aren't freaking out. Um, and if it's only two blocks away and the traffic's light, you may not need to light everything up, right? Just progress through. Because like you said, Ash, like the code three driving on a long run, generally you're not saving a lot of time. It's just to clear that traffic and make through those intersections when it's really congested. So a lot of times you don't need to, to be a hyped up going code three through everything. Um, but again, that comes with experience and that depends on what that officer is going to tell you. Because part of the driving is, is we're doing our, our windshield survey. Like the officer is doing his windshield survey as we're approaching whatever the scene is. The driver needs to be doing that as well. Where am I parking? What's the safest spot? How am I going to angle the truck? What am I blocking traffic? Am I just pulling off to the side? Like there's all these things as a driver you need to be paying attention to. Um, and also where I'm, where I'm stopping is traffic actually going to stop or are they going to try and go around me? Cause now I have a bunch of guys ready to jump out the back and start stretching shit off of my truck. So you got to be very aware of that and which side of the truck you're pulling equipment from as well. So those are all conversations everybody needs to be involved in, uh, in that cab of that truck. I really like with our new engine, it's got the Q siren, which obviously is sweet, but the officer also controls the electric siren. So a lot of the times we'll roll off the apron with our lights on, but I found with our old, like with our older trucks, when you light up the siren, like rolling off the apron and now you're trying to talk to dispatch, like there's a lot of info that passes as you're leaving the hall, as the ICs, like maybe getting closer to the scene and you've got the, you know, the, the sound of, of the siren you know, the crew get, get ready to, to rock. Um, I kind of like give it that extra couple seconds of like semi silence when I'm getting up towards the intersection, I'll, I'll pop that cue just so like we have some audio coming through, but if we're turning to the right and we're not going to be pushing through a traffic light, like just take that extra second of silence um, and allow those comms to, to get out clearly as well. Again, just like Todd says, it's that whole setting the table. Yeah, it's probably my biggest pet peeve as the officer in the jump seat is uh, when we start rolling out and I'm just trying to talk to dispatch uh, or to IC or whatever the scenario just says we're leaving and the driver goes and hits that siren and it's blaring. It's like, oh, two seconds, man. There's no traffic around. Just hang on a second. Let's, let's get that out and then you can make all the noise you want. But yeah, just slowing things down, getting that information out. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's key. Yeah, you guys have pretty similar to us where there's like a decent bit from your apron to the highway, basically. basically. So you've got that that couple of seconds or whatever of, hey, I don't need to be rocking every siren and the air horn and, and you know, like just give us that, that first little bit and then allow things to unfold. And once you get to traffic, yeah, absolutely light it up. Yeah, 100%. Um, Scott, anything else on that one? Uh, no, I think that's it. We covered that pretty good. Okay. Um, 
Is there anything else we want to talk about tonight? No, I think that's that covers it now, right? Yeah, I think we were, we were going to talk about some burn building stuff, but I think we'll, we'll save that for next time. Yeah, um, yeah. So we'll chat about some burn building stuff next time. I was chatting with the guys here. We want to get some sea cans in our town uh, for some training evolutions and stuff, just to switch things up. Um, and we've talked about it in previous podcasts about pretty simple: buy a couple of cheap cans, do some of the work yourself. You can do a lot with it, even if you're not burning in that can. Because um, where we want to put ours right next to our hall, we can't burn, unfortunately, because we've got too many houses right around us. But with a good battle fogger, good fog machine, you can do a lot of wicked training. So we will chat about that next time. Um, so let's move into some shout outs. Um, Ash, Modus. Yep, Modus uh, claimed the fame is going to be their snagger tool, uh, but they got so much other pieces of kit. It's, it's funny, we almost like never talk about the actual use of the snagger. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's, that's their claim to fame. Um, so it's uh, the snagger tool, awesome for hose hose handling. Um, inch and a half, like we generally don't pull it out for that. Uh, but the two and a half, uh, three inch, whatever, it's great. Um, allows uh, a single firefighter to be aggressive rather than um, a bit more defensive uh, with a little bit bigger water. Um, also great for coupling hoses. Uh, it's got the like center punch thing for breaking glass. You can break break and break glass. Um, there's like a, 101 uses for it, uh, and we always seem to kind of like blow past like their claim to fame. <laughs> uh, but they also have like force entry kit. They've got soft soft entry. They got textiles. Uh, Todd's wearing their radio strap right now, uh, which is sweet. So. Um, that's kind of version 1.0. We've already got some adjustments coming for it, which are actual adjustments. Um, <laughs> so we do have some things coming uh, with them on that as well. Uh, so yeah, lots of textiles, lots of uh, hard kit. So check them out on their uh, website and their social medias. Check them out on ours. And if you like what you see, uh, use discount code DTFF5. Awesome. Uh, stop the bleed. Scott. <clears throat> Yeah, three methods of bleeding control are wound, or let's go from the top, uh, direct pressure, wound packing, and tourniquet application. If you're going to use a tourniquet, use a good one. Um, if you want to get trained on Stop the Bleed, go to stopthebleed.org, stopthebleed.com.ca.oz, everything. Basically, Stop the Bleed with something attached to the end will get you to where you need to go. Um, and then make your training high fidelity. So do some crazy sims, lots of blood, lots of fake, lots of fake blood. Um, I guess you could use some real blood. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, let's try. Let's just use fake blood. Uh, so lots of that uh, gets people, uh, you know, gets their heart rate accelerated and, and really gets them uh, motivated to, to train properly. Absolutely. Um, Wolf Tree Coffee. Gosh. Yep, Wolf Tree Coffee uh, out of Oliver, British Columbia. Uh, we are uh, sipping on the initial attack blend. Uh, here today. Um, it's the old collaborative um, blend that we came up with with them. Uh, they served that at our seminar this past spring, and it's been selling since. Uh, so yeah, check that out. Every uh, pound sold, $2, is donated to the Honor House Society, so Honor House on a Ranch. Awesome for first responders to go and seek treatment. Uh, it's a nice place to stay, a nice place to recover. Uh, and the Honor Ranch, great place for, like, your PTSD recovery, um, just getting yourself away from it. Um, but yeah, Wolf Tree, they've got 
Our Blend uh, and countless others. They've got some swag coming out, uh, local delivery, as well as shipping. Uh, I don't, again, I still don't know what the threshold is for shipping, but if you buy a certain amount, they will ship it to you. Uh, so check them out, uh, wolfshoecoffee.com, I believe. Um, and uh, yeah, pick up a pound or two. Outstanding. Uh, Tanner Olson, Scott. Yeah, Tanner Olson, country music out of uh, West Coast of Canada, even though I think he's mostly in Nashville right now. Um, they just had another new song drop, Good Thing End. Huh? It was ready this time. Nice. So it just dropped on Friday. Um, so that's about the fourth song in the last couple of months. So we had Good Thing End, Missing Your Love, Thinking Too Much, and Back Road. So lots of new songs um, to add to their discography. Yeah. Uh, check them out uh, on Spotify or anywhere you listen to music. And see if they're anywhere near you locally doing um, shows. Awesome. Then you have us. So, of course, we're on uh, YouTube, TikTok, um, Instagram, you know, yeah, Spotify, wherever you get your listening platforms. Uh, Yeah, definitely try and find us on YouTube, uh, watch some more content. Um, You can look at the Modus uh, Fire and Life stuff on YouTube as well. Um, They've done a presentation on us. Um, And yeah, give us a like, give us a follow, send us a comments if you've got some ideas or any ideas of any guests um and also our shirts our moose shirts so you can go on to our facebook for that uh dtff store we'll uh, give you that information we'd love to sell you guys some shirts um and also the other thing we're rocking the moustaches i'm attempting to grow one again here so it is uh november slash movember so yeah great uh great supporter for um uh men's health cancer and also ptsd awareness as well first responders is a big push right now this year with it so yeah find out if uh anybody in your departments or anybody that you know is um raising money for that it's a definitely a good uh good train to jump on yeah i see ash changed his mustache is that for november is that just a change no nope. so um i don't baby face but uh you know i wanted to show some support obviously so got rid of the greasy bars and just went to the greasy stash and did a little trim and um the missus was away and she came home and she's like what the hell have you done um but she still doesn't feel as bad as i'm sure lisa does todd's wife is a massive supporter of the mustache <laughs> yeah i'm growing the, the greasy handlebars here we'll see how well they they come in usually some salt and pepper but yours, yours is a very distinguished fire captain stash there. That's good. I love it. <laughs> Anyways, uh, any more for any more? Ash. Nope. nope. Thank, Thank you. you. Have a good night. Scott. Thanks. Good night. And again, thanks for listening, everybody. As always, stay safe, stay DTF. Good night.